and welcome to episode 9 of A Monkey on Your Back, a circus and music podcast. My name's Gracie B and once again I'll be your host. Now this is the second part of an interview that I did with the incredible artist David Erickson. David mixes like circus disciplines with absurd comedy. He is fantastic. And in the first part of this interview, which is episode eight of A Monkey on Your Back, um, we get to talk about growing up in Sweden, um, performing in the current climate. Um, he tells us some great stories. So if you haven't already listened to episode eight, I suggest to go back and listen to that one first, or this one might not make a lot of sense. Uh, I also have to do a language warning. We tend to swear a bit um, and also there is some graphic images involving a ping pong ball. Without further ado, here's straight to the interview. Do you want to just keep telling us about your career um, as a performing artist? After working with Rod, you moved out of England. Yeah, I moved back, I moved back to Sweden and then got a, a really nice gig in a, in a really prominent kind of, not theatre, but like showroom, you know? And with a few celebrities, and suddenly I was like, oh my God, you know, that was a good move coming back here. You know, maybe I'm getting a little bit famous. But then I met this girl, Fufu, which I was touring with for 13 years. And we... And she was your partner as well. Like you guys were a couple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we met during the, 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 the audition for that show, actually, where we had to do something together. And I, I, I took a, a plier, like an old plier I found, and pulled the tongue out so her tongue was like bleeding and full of oil and it was really not a good meeting <laughs> same thing there you know like i was just going for my idea and she was like what the fuck are you doing well obviously you made an impression <laughs> yeah we both got the job and we made an act for that show which then was booked by circus monty in switzerland where we where we had a, like a fantastic time and we we did two more acts. So we had suddenly when we left there, we had three acts. And then we went to do a big dinner show in Norway. And then we did a big dinner show in Denmark, a year, year contract, you know? So we were like really getting solid with our stuff. And then we were also getting a little bit seen, you know? There was yeah. an agent in Germany who came to see the show. Like, oh, we must have you at Roncalli's dinner shows. And suddenly we were in the German market, you know, nice. which was like something a lot of performers back then really, really wanted, you know, and we, we got into that. And was this, what was the acts that you were doing together? We did a, a double two-piece act mm -hmm. that was a little bit funny and a little bit hardcore. So it was like a little, little mix, you know, we were not the best. Uh, she's a brilliant gymnast. She was like silver medalist Swedish champion but I was just you know like I added a few jokes and you know became two characters you know yeah. but we managed to chuck a few tricks you know the, the trapeze community they always looked at us like bad technique you know that I always had that like oh his hands are so bad yes but I have been standing on a, my hands on the stage a lot more <laughs> the the acts that I see that is successful in you know the sort of circles that you're doing are the ones that have um, fused different like art forms like comedy yeah. and theatre yeah. makes and, you makes you think a little bit maybe or, yeah exactly you know yeah yeah okay that quirkiness and stuff you know yeah. I, I was always respected I always wanted skill I was training like an insane person for so many years because I wanted to be a juggler. And I thought, like, if I can't juggle seven balls, I, I, I'm not a juggler. But ended up being just fine with just three or two or whatever, you know. 
when I realized that, ah, oh, actually, you know, make something interesting with this instead of like distancing yourself. You want, I want them to, to love me and feel something, you know? Mm. How many Cirque du Soleil clowns do you remember? Yeah, you remember John Gilkey, you know, because he was like fucking clever, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I, w I wanted to be clever, you know, like make some... My favorite is when they go like, how the fuck did you come up with that, you yeah. know? I like when people think that I have like an interesting mind, you know? Yeah. Because, you know, when you haven't been to school, when you, when you, when you, you know, you can be in, 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 intelligent in, in many ways, you know? And I, I love, I love when I realize that, like, I don't have to have like a stigma around not being like academically intelligent. Like I have social intelligence, I realized one day, and I have a common intelligence. And I've seen so much because of this, you know, in my yeah. life. I'm so thankful for, I'm so thankful I didn't go to school. And, and uh, like, one reason why I fell in love with this art form is also because, you know, like, I was never interested in playing, like, a book from Shakespeare, you know, or, like, like, a, like, a, like a written part, you know? Yeah, you're writing your own part. Yes, and, and, it's, and, and then it becomes, like, for me, it's like, every, every time someone, has, writer has told me to, to, to play something that, I am, that is not close to me, I fuck it up, you know? Like, uh, it was a classic. I, I had this one line in the show when my partner was lying on a, on a table and she was like, well, she was actually shooting ping pong balls out of her pussy. And then I was, I would be behind and, and my, my, my line was, I, I was supposed to jump up behind the table, visible for the audience and say like, are you done yet? You know? And then she's like, yes, and we start to act. That was the direction. Every time, like 50 shows, I went like, are you done yet? Next to other, are you done yet? But I could never, I couldn't deliver the line because the line was not written by me or the idea was not me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So this was always important for me to sort of like, I want to see myself as a, a lawless artist, you know, without any laws about how to create, you know? Nobody can come and say it like, no, but according to Stanislavski, you're supposed to stand with the angle, you know, like, ah, fuck, I, I make up my own then, and I try to grasp the audience. And this is what I feel we do, you know, in our art form. Yeah. Nobody wrote Frodo's act. Like, that, was, that is his mind. Yeah, masterpiece. It's an absolute masterpiece. Have you been listening to The Way of the Showman? Well, I'm saving up, actually. Mm. I'm saving up with that. Yeah. It's a great podcast. When you get to it, you'll love it. And it's very, um, I found it very helpful. And, and um, yeah, I, I love it. And the way he speaks is very poetic. This is what I can't wait, is to hear his voice. Yeah. My show, Pink on the Inside, which was very successful. I took a lot of help from people in La Soiree, Andrian, Frodo. And, you know, you know, when I was creating it, because we were touring together. And Frodo uh, and Fufu and Andrian, you know, they were like really helping me. And Frodo was the one who said like, hey, your show has to end with that poem. The bluebird. I'd just like to quickly interject because the audio was muffled. The poem that we are talking about is called Bluebird by Charles Bukowski. Beautiful poem. You can check it out on YouTube. It is uh, worth a listen.
and it became like an iconic part. Like I value this show very highly because it's like my sort of life work in a way. So, and it was a very a moment where people really connect, like understood the show in that moment when when this poem came. And and I remember thinking like, fuck. That is brilliant that he came up with that. <laughs> you know, that's mo- even more brilliant than the poem. You know, that he just went like that poem fits there. And you won an award. You won actually the um, the Circus Award at Fringe World in Perth in 2017. Very proud of that. Very proud. Yeah, and um, you know, it's interesting because listening to the poem, I'm like, this poem really encapsulates what I feel like your show is about in a way. Yes. You know, I was, I was actually going to ask, you know, like, were you influenced by this poem? Was this poem like inspiration for the show? But it came during the devising, you know, during the talks with Frodo and the others, you know, when I explained my ideas and they start to crystallize what, what I wanted to tell, you know, about breaking out from something and, you know, also telling the story about masculinity and alpha, you know, and, and he, and so, so in that process, like the, the poem was there before I started to, to rehearse. Like I already knew that, that that's how it ends, you know. And that gave me a lot of confidence. I read some of the reviews that your audience members um, said and it, it really hit people hard, you know, like it had a very um, powerful, impactful... I, I seen people like being led out crying after my show and I didn't know that I could, that I could make such an impact. Mm. You know, this was like, I cried so many times after the show when I, when I thanked them, you know, and I saw how they, how they responded. Right. Because I have always been like, you know, and suddenly I was doing something that actually changed people's lives. People told me, you know, did did it also, was, did it come from, um, like your own feelings around masculinity and growing up in North Northern Sweden, like was there yeah. kind of things that you reflected on in your life that you wanted to kind of um, break down and expose a little bit? Like, Absolutely. Because I was never, never falling for it. You know, I was always the one who would like really bring out my femininity to provoke that uh, stubborn norm of being like, this is you have to be like this mm. you know i love it you're saying and, this and i can see you're wearing pink um you're wearing pink nail polish it's awesome <laughs> no, but i always i always had you know this flair of like it wasn't like I, like i was i had a need to be feminine but i knew that it was like there was something i could do really well and i was like my show is not about that but like i was always fucking hating that man stuff, you know? It made my show kind of a little bit black and white in that sense, you know? Like I was portraying like a, like a fucking dude, you know? Yeah, it's like very rock, like metal heavy show and you've yeah. kind of got this kind of alpha punk kind of character in the beginning that's... and that slowly shifts during the show, doesn't it? When I ran out of material, you know? Like when I ran out of like, you know, when, when like you remember how it was when I was a kid, you know, when I was like, I was banging on the window, like, maybe this will get a laugh. And people were not laughing, so I'm banging until it breaks, you know? Because I knew they would get a reaction. And this guy that I do in my show is like, if people laugh at him, he will think they laugh at with him, you know? Right. 
and and saying the most stupid stuff and but not with a little wink in the side but like, <laughs> I'm the man, yeah. I'm the man, you know, or, yeah. Yeah. And then it comes to like, in this show, it comes to a point when I don't have any more of these jokes, you know, and I'm forced to, this becomes very personal, I'm forced to take my juggling balls, my three juggling balls, which has always been my passion, but I never dared to do it because I was so afraid to fail with that because it was such precious to me. So I, I never did that act really. And now I did it exactly how I wanted it, you know? Really without any fucking face pulling, with with high heels, if to make it even more complicated and also to have like a symbolic yeah. value. But and if I dropped, I didn't go Norwegian juggling, you know. I went, okay, I dropped, take another ball. You know, I really went really sincere, like really sincere with the act until the end. And so so you know, the guy I was making, the tough guy. He, him coming to the juggling was like, I don't have anything else, you know? I don't have any more jokes, but they're still sitting here. So now this is what I have to do, you know? Yeah. That was the, that was the, the double meaning, you know, for his journey and for also for me, you know, like to show that. Yeah. And then I transformed into pink and I become a much more, like if, when I did the show in Sweden, I always spoke English until I switched. Then I started to speak Swedish huh. because very sort of, you know, this guy thought it was cool to speak, you know, like. So you were kind of, you were, the whole way through, you were playing a, um, a character that is the way society reflects a man should be in a way. Yeah. And, and also how he's brought up to, to think he has to be yeah. and he, he, his uh, lack of ability to, to, crumble a bit and laugh at himself, you know? Like, I think I'm gonna say something now, which I think is very true, like Donald Trump. He's the guy who could never say, you know? He's the, he's the, I play Donald Trump in my show, you know? The guy- He can never admit he's wrong. Exactly. Like, I spoke to some women uh, and, and they were like, we wanted to leave during the show because it was fucking horrible, mm. you know? And some people did, you know? Because I wasn't, I was just a fucking, Cheap jokes, uh -huh, fucking, I don't care about throwing, like throwing some shit on them, you know, like, and people left. And I couldn't say, like, no, stay, stay, because I'm going to change. I couldn't say that. I just went ahead to go, oh, go, yeah, I don't get it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that was really hard for me. And I knew, knew people who, who, who said that they wanted to leave, but they stayed, and then, you know, they were happy they didn't. But like some people in the audience, men, they were laughing and laughing at my jokes. I'm feeling them, you know. Yeah, we're fucking connecting now. Yeah. And then when I when I take up my my red shoes, high heels, and put my one foot in and the other foot in, they would always be ah. And I wouldn't. I would just. I would just look at them, you know. Mm. They really went like, fuck, you know, like. They kind of caught themselves out a bit, in a way. Yeah, and that yeah. was really nice. And they were always the ones who came up after and said, like, oh my God, I think I, I think I got a lesson there, you know? Yeah, well, powerful. Really fucking yeah, powerful. Really fuck. I, but I'm proud, you know, I didn't, got, I didn't get any funding. Any, I got some help from Circus Ricard, who landed me a space to rehearse. Yeah. But otherwise, you know, I made a show that toured on four continents without any support, you know? And I'm kind of 
proud of that, you know? That, that's incredible. And you also made a show that had a lot of meaning yeah. um, to your life. And also, as you said, changed other people's lives. Yeah, no, I'm really proud. So I'm glad I did that, you know? Yeah. Maybe I'll do something else, something again. So now I thought it would be a nice time to pause the conversation and play some music. This next track is off a new album from Father Funk, who is a Bristol-based artist. Um, now, I'd like to just big up Will. He has been um, mentoring me and Rada with Ableton Live. Um, he has got heaps of tutorials online and he knows his software like the back of his hand. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, check him out. Um, so this album is called Funk Step by Father Funk and this track is Booyaka. <laughs> Yeah. 
awesome tune. Thank you so much, Will, aka Father Funk. You can pick up this album called Funk Step from fatherfunk.bandcamp.com. So we're going to head back to the conversation now where um, David is actually telling a story, I guess, which is about being brave and trying something new, um, you know, making memories. I was in this show once when I was really early in my career. When I came back from England, I was like 27 something, you know, I had worked with comedy and I had worked with stuff. And, and I, was, uh, I was booking this show, like it was good, you know, big showroom in Stockholm, you know, like it was a big deal, you know. Yeah. And it was all about fucking every act. And I said to the director, I want to do something different. I just want to come out with a costume that is completely opposite of all the costumes. So I took actually an old waiter's costume from the restaurants from like the 60s. And I don't want any music. And he said, no, no. And then the other director who was like from the circus said, I'll actually try it once, you know? And on the dress rehearsals, I did it. And there was like, people were drunk, you know? It was like a big company. And then I was there like, fuck going off like this and I imagine and I managed to calm the whole fucking thing down you know wow. because we got intrigued like what is this it's not about anymore you know it was also early in my career and I fought for my thing with a little bit of help from another person and then I came back three times with that character I come also back with other characters characters but every time I came back they were like oh it's this guy again you know I can play now it sort of um, brought you into a different space with the audience because you changed the, um, the, the rhythm of the show a little bit by the sounds of things. I mean, I didn't know that I would do that. And I was fucking terrified mm-hmm. to walk out in that character when they've been like fucking dancing on the tables. But what I'm proud of is that I, that is what I wanted to do, you know, in the rehearsals. And eventually they let me do it probably as a test for the rehearsals. I mean, the director came up to me after the premiere and said like, you know, and he was a very, very famous director in Sweden, you know, so that meant a lot to me too. After that, I have done similar things when I think that this might be a good idea and it hasn't worked. And then you have to go like, oh, evaluation. Ah, okay, maybe I'll try something different. Uh, so there's, there's an expression um, that uh, a professional has failed more times than an amateur has tried. Um, have you got any stories about um, things that maybe haven't gone right? Yeah, I mean, like, first of all, I think of a quote from, quote, like something a, a famous magician told me, Gaetan Bloom, he told me, you have not learned a trick until you have failed every possible aspect of it. Like, like last week, for example, you know, like I was in the show and uh, I was going for my finale trick and then I need a wooden spoon and I have my thing, I blow out the balloon, I make a little joke, little thing with that and then I go, ah, now comes the spoon, it's not there and I know it's like backstage, kind of far away and that is, that is, even if I know that people like me, like for me to run off stage and be gone for like maybe two minutes if I don't find it, that's like, that's an eternity of time. Yeah. So I screamed to my friend Jesper who runs the show, who was on the side and say, 
get my spoon. And he's like, what? My spoon. Over the music. Yeah. And he's like, okay. And he takes off. Yeah. And I, and then I, you know, like you can say that that is like, you know, I mean, that, like that's, that's a horrible thing, you know, because I don't know if he's going to come back with a spoon. So I don't know how I can finish my act. But I started to make stuff up for one and a half minutes. That was successful, which I would never have done. To the side, to the right side, I'm fucking freaking out. When I turn my head to the audience, I am there to entertain them. Yeah, and it's kind of nice, like if as an audience member, when you see something that hasn't quite gone right, that you, and then you see the how, it's almost like watching the clown think. You know, when you can see the clown yeah, think, right. it's actually really funny and entertaining. And that's, um, that's actually clowning at its best in a way, you know, by, yeah. you know. And I think we, we, we may be able to see that a little bit more than the general audience, you know, because normally after you come out from a show, it's like, oh, I fucked it up there, you know. They're like, we didn't see that. But we, when we watch a show, if we see if someone fucks up, you know, we, we know that she fucked up or he fucked up. Yeah. You know, for me, that's the craft and the art of performing is holding together the the mistakes or making um, making use of the mistakes. You know, making them work. Yeah, exactly. and, and that, you know, you know how it is when in a rehearsal situation when you're supposed to think on your toes and come up with stuff. You can you can block yourself and stuff. But in this moment, suddenly you have access to all your fucking senses in half a second, and you make stuff up. Because you, it's your fucking duty to do it, you know? Because often I think with failure, you'd learn more. So, so I can give you an example then, which I think was really funny about like how a big thing can create a little idea. Like we, were, we, we had this, one of the shows we played with Sirke Sirkar, it was played at, in a very nice theater in, in Stockholm, which had like, a, we call it an iron curtain. So when there's a fire alarm, it's like a big, heavy iron curtain coming down to, to protect the stage from the salon to spread, spread fire. Everybody went out, you know, like audience and artists together from a different direction. But we were, we, you know, yeah. we were outside, you know. Fire department came. It was like maybe 20 minutes later. We are like, okay, you can go in now again. And audience went in. And we, as artists, sat down on stage. Like, okay, we have to start from where we were. Yeah. And I, just, and I just took up a lighter. <laughs> and as the fire gun went up, I was sitting there with a the lighter, like, you know, it was me. And people that fucking died, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it was just a thing that was sort of a little joke. And, you know, so that was like, maybe it's not actually not the answer to your question, but that's like. It doesn't matter. These questions are um, interpretable however you like, and that's a great. Yeah. story and I love it how yeah. you think about the failures that actually you turn into some magic and that's actually um it's, it's really cool it's really cool yeah exactly and uh, um so the next question is I guess is about music um I, how does music influence your work well people always told me that I was musical in the way I perform you know that I, I was never good at like doing choreography or anything but I was always good to find the rhythms and the hits and the like, you know, and I, I was, I, I wanted to be a musician, you know, but I was never really giving it everything, you know, when we, when I started my first band, we had a rehearsal space given to us by, you know, the local government. Yeah. 
we were like, oh fuck, we have a, we have a, we have a rehearsal space because we have, and then we're like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, so then I became a drummer. Yeah, but the first thing, the first big thing we did before we even could play an instrument, maybe the guitarist could play a little bit. The first thing we did, and this was my idea, I was like, we have a band now. We must burn a Bible. <laughs> For me, it wasn't really important to become a musician. For me, it was important to, to become a, a thing, you know? Yeah. To become a, a band or an iconic rock star. That's what I wanted. And now yeah. we had the drums. Fuck up. Ah, uh, let's burn Bibles instead. And then we started to do shows, and I was like, ah, oh, bum ba boom ba boom ba But I thought, no, we have to focus on the intro. Like, it has to be an intro, like. So you wanted to make, make your shows a bit, your, your music shows a bit more theatrical. Exactly, I, I was, it was all about the intro, you know? The, the, the voiceover, the, the speaking toilets that we had, you know? Dra drama, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's really cool because you sent me, um, three tracks that you recorded a few years ago. I am going to play one of those tracks now, and it's um, the one called Chair 10. Can you just tell us a little bit about this recording and what this uh, track means to you? You know, this, the, the, the dream of being a rock star has never left me. Like, I, I live a little bit sometimes more as a rock star than as a fucking acrobat <laughs> you know what i mean like, but that's i mean your acts are very rock and roll in a lot yeah. of like they are very um you play that character quite well because it's so, so close to me and 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 i love it i still want to be a rock star so my very good friend had has a recording studio and we were just hanging out one spring day and i said i want to write songs like really hard songs but this the they speak about like kind of not hard things, you know, like like the death metal. They always sing about death and destruction and fucking chaos and you know. And I want to have the same, oh, but I want to say I want to eat ice cream, you know. Yeah. And yeah, so so I wanted to wanted to have the dramatic of like the old eighties sort of Spinal Tap, if you like, you know, like the big dramatic stage shows and stuff but every every title of my songs they are they mean something in english but but the same words mean something in swedish you know so what does chair 10 mean in, in what i'm saying is sit down sit down on your bum is what i actually say you know hey Open the door. You must know the secret knock. Is it this one? Hey, 
What's this now? It's another door. But I already... Okay. So, how do I get into this door? You must know the secret knock. Uh, is it the same one? Yes. so much for sharing that unreleased track um that's david erickson on the vocals um and thanks once again for this wonderful interview um i loved your stories and um, it was really interesting hearing about your life so um thanks big ups so this is an independent production by myself miss gracie b and the amazing miss radida um we are really doing this for the love of it we believe in storytelling we believe in um you know sharing ideas uh we love music we love circus <laughs> and um so if you are enjoying our work and you'd like to support us there's a few ways you can do that you could share um share this podcast on social media you could give us a thumbs up or a like or a star whatever podcast platform you use um, or you could write us a review this really does help to sort of um, get us uh, 
to get this podcast out to a to a larger audience. So that is a wrap. My name is Gracie B. I hope you're all doing well and see you out there somewhere. <laughs>